This is the Marketing Podcast Network. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, Tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Stories influence, teach, and inspire us. But what about the storytellers who create them? Uncorking a Story profiles storytellers to uncover how their background and life experiences influence the stories they create. We learn what motivates them, their path to success, and what fuels them to keep creating. It all starts by asking one simple question. Where does your story begin? Welcome to Uncorking a Story. Now here's your host, Mike Carlin. Hello and welcome to Uncorking a Story. I'm your host, Mike Carlin. Today, I'm pleased to introduce you or reintroduce some of you to Karen White. Karen is the New York Times and USA Today bestselling author of more than 32 novels, including the Trad Street series, The Shop on Royal Street, The Last Night in London, Dreams of Falling, The Nights, The Lights Went Out, Flight Patterns, The Sound of Glass, A Long Time Gone, and the time between. And that's just a handful of her books. She joins me today to talk about her latest book in the Royal Street series, The House on Britannia. Welcome to Uncorking a Story, Karen. Thank you, Mike. It's good to be back. Oh, it's nice to have you back here, Karen. And remind me, where does your story as an author begin, Karen? By accident and totally not intentionally. I was a business major in college because I loved books, though. As from a little girl, I just devoured books, loved books. My teachers always said, you should be a writer. And that was the absolutely last thing that I ever wanted to do was be a writer. It was just so hard. And and then something happened. And so I, I graduated from business school, worked in the business world, got married, had children. And when my children were babies, my sister-in-law sent me Outlander by Diana Gabaldon. And I read that book. And then I read the next three in the series. And I was I had the worst book hangover. I could not pick up another book to read and I was bereft. And then I basically, the ghost of my sixth grade teacher, Mrs. Anderson, I heard her whispering in my ear, you should write a book, as she used to always tell me. And I was like, oh, if I don't tell anybody, then it's not real. So I literally, I didn't know anything. I didn't outline. I didn't plan. I didn't, I just sat down at my computer, like in between nap times and everything else and started writing that first book. When I was done, I entered it into a writing contest, but only because Diana Gabaldon, if you got to the finalist round, she would give you a written critique. And I thought, oh, great. I'm not going to win, but wow, wouldn't it be great to have a critique of this? And not only did I win the contest and get the critique, but I also, the finalist judge was in your literary agent and she offered to represent me. And that's basically how I, I started. And that, that doesn't happen for everybody. No, that's a pretty unique. And I like to call that like the Nike approach to writing, which is just do it. Yeah. It, and uh, you know what? I used to have that on my screensaver, just do it, because that's basically it. When people say, oh, do I need this degree and do I need to do this? It's like, do you? But at the end of the day, you need to put your butt on the chair. And whether you're in front of a typewriter, a computer, a notepad, you need to put in the time of sitting down and you and the page. That's it. 
doesn't matter. And people just think, oh no, you need to have special trick. No, and read, read across genres, read what floats your boat. If you pick up a book that you don't particularly love, it's not because it's a bad book. It's because it just doesn't jive with you. Pick up another book that does inspire you. And then be thinking in the back of your head, what is it about this book that makes you want to turn the pages, pick it up time and again, ignore your own cooking dinner and everything else. That's what I was like when I read Outlander. I take the kids to the park and I put them on swings and I'd be pushing them while holding the book in one hand. And six hours later, the kids would be like, mommy, it's raining. It's cold. We're hungry. It's dark. Can we go home? I'd be like, yeah, hang on one more page. I mean, read those books and that is the best kind of training. And then sit yourself down and write. And did you wind up sending a copy of that first book to that sixth grade teacher? You know what? I tried to find her. So she was old when when I was like near retirement. She was probably almost 70 back when I was in fifth grade. I did call the school to see if there was some chance, but sadly she had passed. But, but thank you, Mrs. Anderson, because she was, yeah, really instrumental in making this happen. Interesting. I talked to a lot of authors and there's a lot of Mrs. Anderson's out there. Absolutely. So, Thank you, teachers. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah and it's, it's like, a calling it's, and a, an important one and one that that holds so much responsibility. And if you could just one nugget of inspiration to any of your students is worth everything. So do you pay that forward as an author at all when you're talking to aspiring authors in terms of that th those lessons of encouragement that were drilled into you or inspired perhaps by Mrs. Anderson? Right. How does that come to play in your in your life when you're talking to aspiring authors? Because I imagine a few of them try and track you down and, and bend your ear a little bit. Oh, absolutely. And, and this I'm just going to give it, this is a, a sort of a public a PSA here. So I get lots of emails from aspiring authors. I don't always respond quickly because I am a little frazzled. I not just am I a writer. There's a social media, there's a publicity, there's plus my life, plus I care for my 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 elderly mother who has Alzheimer's. So there's a lot of so if you send me an email, first of all, be respectful. And it helps when you say, I love such and such a book. I love the way you do this, that I also want to be an author and I know you're busy, but if you could give me just a couple of words of wisdom or, you know, I appreciate that. And those are the ones that I respond to. You would not believe how many, it's not even, it's like, dear author, I want to be a writer. What should I do? You're not going to get a response from me or probably anyone else. It's anything else. If you're applying for a job, <laughs> is that how you would approach a prospective employer? I don't think so. But yeah, and my advice always is do the work and, and make sure you understand from the get-go that writing is rewriting. Writing this business is all about rejection. So make sure you have your safety zones with family, friends, supportive, whatever. Have a hobby, a dog, whatever. Because this is not an easy business. I, I have been the, I started, that was a pretty easy start for me, although I had written a book and I'd already written half of the next book before I sold the first book. Um, but I've had ups and downs in my career. It, this is not a static environment. You have to like reinvent yourself with every book. How do you handle the downs after after such a kind of explosive start, very successful start? How do you handle the downs? Again, I rely on my friends and I have writing friends, especially Beatrice Williams and Laura Willig. We actually write books together, the collaborations. 
we get each other. We applaud our triumphs. We boo hiss, send burning bags of dog poop to the people who upset us. And that you have to have that support system. My husband, my family calls him Job because he has the patience of Job because I get frustrated. I get, and especially the last, since the pandemic, I inherited both of my parents at, at around the same time as the pandemic and everything, just like nothing was as it used to be. My, my writing was different because I couldn't just clear my head anymore like I used to. The advent of social media that requires so much brain cells and time, the totally different world. So I do know right now, because I am in a, yeah, I'm finding my way back. I had a difficult year last year. My father died. And then three weeks after his funeral, my daughter got married. So it's been, uh, and now I'm dealing with his estate and my mom's care. So it's been like, are you kidding me? It's hard for a writer because we need all of our mind space, right? And so I'm coming back slowly. But one thing that has really helped me, I turn off notifications all day long, unless I know somebody important is trying to call me. And then I write that allow, like, the care facility where my mother is or my agent, those are the, or my husband, those are the only people that, that I allow to break through. I cannot have social media beings all day long. It was giving me heartburn, stomach ache. And I'm like, why am I doing this? I'm a writer. <laughs> I was a marketing major in college, but that should be an ancillary, ancillary, you know, that word, that extra. It starts with an A and ends with a Y. Yes. That extra that I'm doing of the writing, it shouldn't take the place of. And once you come to that conclusion, it's once you just say, dang it, I'm a writer. Then you, then everything else, you slot that into your day. And that has been a huge help. Yeah. When I'm going through the doldrums, I don't need to be on social media. So I need to get my head back in the game and plug away on this next book. Speaking of this next book, maybe not your next book, but your latest book, tell us about, or what can you tell us about The House on Britannia? Oh, I I love this series. I originally started writing series to be a sorbet in between my big emotional Southern women's fiction books. And that's how I wrote the Trad Street series, which is set in Charleston. And I didn't really, when I wrote that first book, it was just an inspiration. I had this character jump into my head and I just started writing. I sent it to my agent. She's, this is really different, but it's really good. And she sent it to my editor. Very different, but very good. And that is how the Trad Street series happened. And and I was writing two books a year. I was doing a Trad Street series and then the big Southern women's fiction. And I love the Trad Street series and this series, the Royal Street series, for the same reason. It's different. Still Southern women's fiction, but a lot more humor. And I always put humor in my books. And I always put history in my books. But these books are a little more humorous, definitely lighter in tone. And then we have the paranormal element. I'm not going to say that it's not a ghost story. The presence of ghosts are just another aspect of the main character and her growth. I still consider these Southern women's fiction books and the Royal Street series is, is no different. So in the House of Britannia, it's number two in the Royal Street series. The first book, The Shop on Royal Street, came out last year. It just came out in paperback, so you still have time to read it before The House of Britannia comes out on May 9th. But do you have to? No. I have written the House in Britannia, to give you enough information so you know what's going on and who the major players are. So if you're just picking up fresh, you're not going to be lost. The main character, she's 26-year-old Nola Trenum, and she is a secondary character from the Trad Street series because I got so many fan letters saying, we love Nola, please give her her own series. If you're going to end the Trad Street series, 
please let Nola be the star of the show in the next. And I thought, oh, yeah, absolutely. She's perfect for this. So she's 26 years old. She's there's a lot of water under the bridge for her since the last time we saw her in the last book in the Trad Street series. She was 18 going to Tulane University in New Orleans. That's when we last saw her. And then we jumped to the shop on Royal Street in the house on Britannia. And she's a young woman of 26. She's had some bumps on the road along the way, and she's still working hard to find herself and her future. So what better way to do that? As she has a graduate degree in historic preservation, and she buys an old fixer-upper real cottage in New Orleans. And it's not that easy because this cottage comes with some previous residents who are not that eager to move on. And in this book, she thought she got already got rid of two of them with the help of Beau Ryan, who's her nemesis. She hates asking for his help, but he's the only person who she can ask for help because he can communicate with spirits. So she already he already eradicated two ghosts from her house. So in this book, we have a really angry, nasty ghost who is desperate to keep hidden a secret that will have horrible repercussions for his family. So there's a battle of that. There's a battle of Nola finding herself. There, and then her family comes in and that's a whole nother. And, then, and a new character comes in. And then there's this mystery of the, the disappeared Bo's sister who appears again. And so there's that mystery. And so in each book, and especially I introduce um, several mysteries I'll explore a little bit further in the next book. I'll solve some, introduce more, because at this moment, House on Britannia is number two in what is good for four books. It could go on longer if readers show it some love. So, because Nola's only 26, I can torture her for years. <laughs> and I have thrown so much at her in this book. It sounds like it's important for you to change things up a bit you're writing in the same genre but you're doing some different things absolutely um, i think that's important in whatever you do you need to go outside your box every once in a while just to see what you can do and you might surprise yourself but i think as maybe a lesson there for writers is hey it's okay to do that it's okay to you know, indulge yourself a little bit because mm -hmm. if you're not excited about what you're writing that's probably going to come through on the page absolutely um, and then no one's going to be excited about what you are writing mm -hmm. yeah couldn't agree more. Interesting. Interesting. I like the ghost aspect of it, I have to say. Isn't it fun? I was, I mean, my father, rest his soul, he used to read me true ghost stories before bedtime as a child. Yeah. Who does that? I'm pretty sure he loved me, but who does that really? It might be hard to sleep after some of those, but it sounds like you're I not complaining though. talking about like third and fourth grade. I remember I would lie in bed and wait until my, my parents would turn out the lights. And then I would hear them talking for a little bit in their bedroom. And then as soon as they stopped talking, I'd wait a few more minutes. And then I'd go commando style into their bedroom and like slide under their bed. I could wait. Cause I, and yeah, I did that for years and years because my dad loved the ghost stories, the true ghost stories. Yeah. So, yeah, 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 yeah. So did, did, do you have a favorite ghost story that you've read or even a favorite ghost movie that you've ever uh, My ever favorite seen? ghost movie, of course, is The Sixth Sense. That's one of the very... Very few. And the others, I think the two of those, it, the others isn't as, as well known as The Sixth Sense, but you yeah. need to go watch it. It's Nicole Kidman. Nicole Kidman. Yeah. I've, I know mm -hmm. I've seen the, the preview for it, but I've never seen the movie itself. Go to, I'm sure it's on Netflix or somewhere. It's older, but both of those books are ghost stories or both of those movies, but those are the only two movies where I 
did not see the ending until mm. the revelation. And it's very rare. It's, I think most writers are this way because we're always thinking about plots and twists and all of that. And both of those just blew me away. And as far as ghost stories, I remember one of the ones my dad told me was a family picnicking and the earth swallowed the father. And then, and like into this opening, and it was probably, because this was probably Victorian ages, was a recollection of a true story. And the father was never seen again, but it was probably a sinkhole. But like the grass wouldn't grow over that spot. And for years and years, people could hear, if you went by that spot, you could hear his voice calling for help. I know, right? That's like horrifying. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to be swallowed up. And I certainly don't want to go by that spot and hear somebody calling for help and you can't do anything. Yeah, I think that would turn me off from picnics for a while. Oh, yeah. Um, I I don't sit on the grass. I still won't go to the beach because of Jaws. Oh, oh, I wouldn't take a bath. That's (laughs) when I started showering. (laughs) Because I just know. I don't know what's coming out of that drain. I don't, you know. Oh, gosh. Yeah. There was a movie called, this is, it's like an old B movie. And I think, Those I don't know if best. it ever, I don't know if it ever made it out of South Florida. Cause I only remember seeing it when I grew up in Florida. It was called Alligator. And there was one it. scene. It was one of those slash movies, pretty much. Yeah, it was like a slasher movie, but with an alligator. And I think the and premise it's giant, was, right? It's was it nuclear or something like it I, got into. I some... don't even know. And for some reason, I'm thinking that somebody flushed it as a baby down a toilet, and then it lived in the sewers. And I don't remember. Yeah. But I wouldn't go swimming in the pool because there was one scene in I... that movie where the alligator was in the pool and it did whatever it did. Nice. To the unsuspecting yeah. child, probably. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But I digress. I digress. Love those movies. Oh, God, they're so good. They're so good. I love the B ones, too. Any of those Sharknado movies that oh, came I out know. years I ago? Mean, those are great movies to watch while you're, like, doing email or something because you don't have to pay that much attention. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, have a just... drinking game involved. They're like Hallmark Christmas movies. Drink oh. every time, you know. this. Exactly right. You know, when a soldier comes home or gets a letter. <laughs> We'd all be in liver failure. It's hilarious. Hilarious. Yeah. I'm always curious to get to know people a little bit more through pop culture. And I know we, we've scratched the surface here a little bit, Karen. But when you were growing up, what were some of your favorite TV shows? I Dream of Jeannie. Oh, sure. A young, what, Barbara Eden and, Barbara um, Eden and Larry, Larry Hagman. Hagman. Larry Hagman. Dallas fame. Oh, gosh. Yes. And so I was living in London at the time that Dallas came out. And um, so they were like two episodes behind so i i knew i couldn't talk to cousins or anything because they would but i remember this was in the old days before streaming and whatever like you had to be in front of the tv like my world my mom and i our world would be the calendar would be around those nights that night a week at that time when dallas came on and then as soon as it was over i'd run to the telephone and i would call my best friend and of course we dissect it so yes i watched every single one i Hated the whole Bobby story. It was only a dream. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about shortcuts, right? But yes, love Dallas. All in Falcons. Falcons. Falcon Crest. Oh, yeah. Dynasty. Oh, so that was in college. But but as a kid, oh, and, and these shows would never be made today. But I loved F Troop. Did you ever oh watch Oh, my God. That? I remember. I didn't watch it when in, in you know, original programming but i think i did so i because i was pretty little so probably early 70s watching yeah. with my brothers bonanza know. so politically incorrect yeah oh sure bonanza was that on your list 
No, that was, I think that might have been earlier for me. And okay. it was like Cowboys. That wasn't really my yeah. thing I wanted to do. But Star Trek, my dad was a huge Star Trek fan. So I would have to watch, I would watch Star Trek with him because when he, seven o'clock on Channel 11, whatever that was, on Mondays, whenever Star Trek came on, we had to be done with dinner. If we were doing homework, we had to be absolutely silent because dad was watching Star Trek. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Yeah, you talk about FOMO. My kids, I have three 21-year-olds now. They oh, they talk about FOMO all the time. Oh, we couldn't go to this party. We're going to miss it, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, you don't know what FOMO is. You don't know, like, missing a Charlie Brown Christmas. Like, you don't get a second chance at bat There's the three of them. Yeah. My mom, she she would give us our Swanson's TV dinners, right? That The only time, like, she always cooked for us, except on that night when Charlie Brown Christmas... Frosty the Snowman and Rudolph the Rain Red-Nosed Reindeer, yeah. the animated ones, would be on. So yeah. we would have our baths. We would be in our jammies. And already had our Swanson TV dinner. We'd all be sitting in front. But yeah, that was FOMO. Because if you missed it, you'd have to wait another year until it came on again. Absolutely. Now it's, oh, we just stream it. It's, uh... or, or, or like when my kids were little, I bought the video or my mother-in-law bought them the videos. Because my kids were born in the 92 and 93. Yeah. We had the video. And it's just not the same. Not the same. What about music? What did you like listening to growing up? Oh, my gosh. In the 80s, I lived in London. So it was all about New Age. New Age. Echo and the Bunnymen. Tears for Fears. Oh, I love the cars. And then there's the American, like, Tom Petty. Huge Tom Petty fan. If you're from South Florida. He was oh, so, sure. Yeah. He was Gainesville. Um, but... Yeah, yeah. Oh, my gosh. My, my entire... Oh. ABBA, excuse me, ABBA. <laughs> now, have you seen that interactive hologram thing in London? No, I don't, it'll ruin it for me. And so that's why in Nola's mother and Nola's stepmother is a huge ABBA fan. No, no accident there. <laughs> but yeah, I, and I'm musical. So I've, I used to sing in weddings. I've sung in choirs. I've played piano my whole life. I've always been a big singer. And I've always asked for a karaoke machine for Christmas or birthdays. And for some reason, my family refuses to get one. So th this year, my dog bought me a karaoke machine and I've been enjoying it. Thank you very much. There you go. Hey, you went in doubt, ask the dog. Yeah. How about this? You've had quite a career. What are some of the things that that authors just can't be taught? What are some of the things that they have to learn the hard way or just learn by doing? They're going to say, you know how when we all learned how to type people of a certain age, you had to, uh, you had to put the space, you have to do two spaces after the period. You don't have to do that anymore. And it's, I can't. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, I, yeah, that and. I know they changed other rules too. Just can't. I'm sorry. Yeah. Because again, I hear Mrs. Anderson saying that's incorrect. <laughs> Don't do that. So things. Huh. I still think it's a lot of authors feel they need to write to the market. Oh, you know that that big World War II blockbuster. I got to write a World War II book. No, don't. Again, it's like anything. If you force yourself to write something. It's not going to, it's not going to be your best work. And I think that's something that I remember when I first started out and I joined a writing group, that was one of the things that the old timers would tell you, don't write to the market, write from your heart. And I still believe that's true. I love it. From your heart. That's going to be the name of this episode. Write oh. from your heart. There yeah. you go. Thank yeah. you. No, I should thank you. Uh, Karen Wright says, write from her. Karen, I said Karen Wright. Karen well, Wright. I, well, but that's my Instagram handle, Karen Wright. Karen White Wright. Okay, there we go. 
Yeah. Karen, this has been a fun conversation. It has um, been. Thank you. Where can people find you if they want to connect with you and write you a very complimentary note asking for advice? It doesn't have to be complimentary. Just <laughs> it has to be like you've done your homework. Please, yeah. even if you're making it up, make me believe you've done your homework. Okay. So, where do you have social media handles you can share with us or website? So, the best way to go is start my website, karen white.com. And in the top right corner, you'll find all of my social media. I'm pretty active on Instagram and Facebook. And uh, yeah, Instagram, especially, and that is at Karen White Wright, W R I T E. Very good. I'll be sure to put all that in the show notes so people Thank don't have you. to scribble this down in their cars or on the treadmill. Yeah, don't do it in the car. Yeah, not a good not idea. Well. Not a good idea. And of course, the book is The House on Britannia, which will be out on May 9th. May 9th. And this will probably come out right around the same time. So perfect. Go to your store and uh, your local bookshop, pick it up. Yeah. Yeah. And, and just uh, a little a shout out to independent. Oh, yeah. This will, yeah. Independent booksellers weekend or right. Yeah, I think it's this Saturday. But support your local independent bookstores. They are members of your community and they deserve your love. Yes, they do. I love going to the little neighborhood bookstores. Exactly. Get, they'll so they'll know who you are. They'll be like, oh, I remember you said you like this book. You got to try this book. I just, it's, they're wonderful. They're wonderful that you can't get that from the big eight company. No, you cannot. No, you cannot. You can get a lot from them, but. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Buy your deodorant from them, but don't buy your books. From them. <laughs> Very good. Karen, thank you so much for coming back to Uncorking Your Story and letting Thanks, me continue to Uncork Yours. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Uncorking a Story. If you'd like more information about today's guest or to find out more about Mike, go to uncorkingastory.com. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, rate, and review us at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Tune in every week to hear Mike Carlin uncork a new story.